people, it is time for part two of this week's episode. And um, yo, we've got another Oscar considered short film for you. I don't have to get it. And we'll be speaking to the director of that film and writer, Mark Rosen. So, yo, this is another one that you can people so we have a british oscar nominated well a potentially oscar nominated film right it, it's up in the running to go into that short list and once you've seen it you're gonna understand why people trust me the film is called ganif and it is from mark rosenblatt he wrote he directed and um, he produces the film alongside Suri Ellerton with Anne Mota Piech as an executive producer. The music is from Mark Teltler. Uh, cinematography is handled by Elena Maggi Gonales. It's edited by Maya. Manofili. Uh, the casting was handled by Matilda James. Production design is Sophia Stocco. Uh, art direction is Laura Lily Smith. Costume design is uh, Shiara Abrahams. Makeup was handled by Carolina Pokalut and Kirsten Weller. Uh, and people, there's a host of other talented individuals working on this film. Our cast, well, we have young Ruthie, who is played by Isabella, uh, oh gosh, Dizwanaskia. I think I butchered that one. Oh dear. Um, the lady of the house, Mrs. Herif is played by Lydia Wilson. Her husband, Mr. Herif, is played by Danny Sherman. And Lynn, the housekeeper, is played by Sophie McShearer. Okay, people. And so the gist of the film is yes, confusion escalates when a young little girl thinks she sees her beloved family cleaner steal a precious ornament. So, yeah. Now, people, this film it is just under 13 minutes, but it, it tells a tale. It really tells a tale. Like, we open up with little Ruthie playing and having fun, in the vast family abode, you know what I mean? She's doing what little little kids do, you know what I mean? 
she's playing, having fun, being silly. And then we see her playing with Lynn, right? And from these interactions, we we straight away, we understand the innocence of this little girl. And we see the relationship that she has with the maid, right? This isn't, this isn't something new. They, they clearly have this bond. They've walked the, this dance before, right? We can see it because words don't need to be said. It's all instinctive. And this is so evident in what we see. You know, there is this charm about it all. It, it's just this flow. You know what I mean? It's just this innocent flow. These, these childish games. Uh, and when the mother returns, right, we also see that there is this kinship with Lynn. But then we also notice something else. Right, you you notice this, it's not aloofness, right? And, and it, you wouldn't say it's cold or standoffish, but there's a hesitance here, right? And so you wonder, you wonder. But as the mother is, when she gets upstairs, right, and she's talking to Ruthie, our little girl, you understand Right, so I, I should say, you know, this is a period piece. It's set in 1962, right? 1962. So we're, we're out of the war, but it's still very fresh. Second World War, people, you know, for those that don't know your history. Um, but yeah, it, everything is still fresh. You know what I mean? And when you think, right, about 9-11, right, or July the 7th, these things happened, you know, over a decade ago, but people still, every year, still, all right, remember that day, all right, remember where we were on that day. Now, imagine a four-year, five-year war that was the largest scaled thing the world had ever seen. You know, you thought the, the First World War was the Great War, and you thought that was bad. And then, just a few years later, it happens again, but even worse, right? So if the first is the Great War, then what the fuck is this? You understand? So even though it's 62, these events... These scars, you know, these traumas, they still feel very fresh to the people that were most affected. Now, <laughs> you know I mean, the world was affected, but there were some people that, who, firsthand, right, firsthand fear. And, and so you imagine, you know, the, the, the burden, the PTSD, which wasn't even a thing back then. I mean, it was a thing, but there was no term. People didn't understand it, right? Soldiers were killed. They called it cowardice. But these poor fuckers were in shock. So, you know what I mean? So 
you, you can understand what Mrs. Hera is feeling. And she, I mean, she's pestered by the, her little daughter, right? And you know, you can see that she's trying to keep this information away from her, right? She wants to keep her daughter's innocence. But she tells her, she tells her this thing that it, it, it's, it's kind of crazy, right? Because she's probably thinking, oh, okay, I'll just tell her. It, it's, it's not going to impact her life, right? But it was this thing that sits with Mrs. Error, right? It sits with her. It's ingrained in her essence now. Right, a mechanism to keep safe. A mechanism to keep safe. So she tells the daughter, and you forget how impressionable little kids are. You know, because Ruthie, she's, I mean, she's six, between six and eight, right? So imagine how impressionable you were at that point, right? And so. When she sees something, she sees a thing happen. Now, it's an innocent thing, but straight away, she's thinking about what her mother told her, right? And so we see this fear, this shock, you know, this dread. And she doesn't know what to do doesn't know what to do, so she, you know what I mean, tells her mother, right, because, you know, she, she just heard this thing, this story, and it's just like, oh, damn, is this happening to us, right, and the crazy thing is, because, listen, we've all seen kid actors, right, and, you know, uh, children of a certain age, I think it's hard for them to convey certain emotions because they've never witnessed these emotions, right? And you think there's adults that struggle to display certain emotions. So when you're expecting this sort of stuff from a little kid, you know, you can understand why sometimes the performances don't quite hit it. But people... There is no such fear here because young Isabella, oh my day, she does a immaculate job of conveying these emotions. Conveying these emotions, right? You believe everything. And then, you know, it, there's also, it, it, you can see this hauntedness around her because, as I said, look, she's friends with Lynn. So what does she do? What does she do? Now, the way then everything, you know, transpires in the film. Oh, man, you watch it and everything makes so much sense. But there is always consequences, even to something so innocent, you know, done with no malice. There is consequences and we see all of them, we see these things, and it is heart 
it is truly heartbreaking. Now, it's not in the way you might think, right? But I think this film, it displays, you know, the effects of trauma, but also what happens when lines are crossed, when certain things are said, because there's an innocence that gets broken here. Gets broken, and you can't get it back. You know, like sometimes you take those things out of a box, right? Those, those items of clothing or or whatever it is. But once it's out, you ain't ever getting it back in that box. You wonder to yourself, how did they pack this? How did they get this thing in this frigging box? Because I do not know. It's so small. It's so small. And that's what happens with innocence. Because there's no way of getting it back. The hole is too small. Right? The soul gets corrupted in a way. You know? And all of these emotions, all of it, is masterfully complex. Well, that was a masterful, was it? But no, the, the our actors, they masterfully convey this story, you know, that, that Mark has written. Now, it is not packed with dialogue, right? But the dialogue, although sparse, is very poignant, it's very concise. It hits to the heart of everything. And again, although not a lot of dialogue, all these relationships, all this connective tissue, it is so clear, right? Now, remember, people, this is under 13 minutes. But in this amount of time, we still get these relationships that feel fully fleshed out, right? We get this story that, although it's short, it feels so impactful. It is a, you know, remarkable feat. Like, everything looks, you know, really feeds into telling this story. You know, the, the cinematography, the lighting, the, you know, the production design, the costume design, everything makes you feel like you're in 1962 London. You know, you just, everything breathes this moment in time. And, yeah, you're left with this, event, right, this shard of a story that just embeds itself into your being, and you are just left, left so sad and wondering, because the ending, oh my god, like, the ending, it, it, it just, Man, it, it hits on this thing that you wonder, like, what is the way back now? Is there a way back? 
is this it? Is this the end? There is a, a, a lot that you will think, a lot that you will ponder, and that, people, that is a tremendous thing to be able to do. Because you think about those films that have left you wondering what happened. Where does the story go? And usually they, these are, you know, two-hour just opuses. But this does it in under 13 minutes, people. So if you get an opportunity, you really do want to check out Gannett. Now, it is currently playing as part of Omeletto, which isn't an egg-based dessert <laughs> or, you know, breakfast, lunch, even a dinner. No, 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 no. It is an online um, platform. It, you know, it's running on YouTube, but it curates short films, and it also creates short films that are nominated or the potential to be nominated for some of the top awards in the industry so people go check this film out right go check it out go follow mark yeah you know I mean? go follow him because you will want to know what old mr rosenblatt does next because people the deft hand that he shows with Gannett. Imagine what he will do next. Imagine what he will do next. So, people, there you go. Ganif. And, you know, the strength of this film and the strength of Lost Kings, I imagine both of these films will be in that Oscar, you know, running, people. I, I feel that both of these films definitely should be in with that. So, um, let's see what happens. Okay, people, <laughs> I mean, you guess what's up next, right? Yes, 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 that is correct. Now, we get to hear from a writer, director, producer, and just a really nice chap. It is Mark Rosenblatt, people. Okay, people, so I'm here with Mark Rosenblatt. The writer and director of Gunf. Gunf? It's called it's Gunf. It's a Yiddish Gunf. word. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, oh my gosh. Um, Mark, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Uh, so yeah, you, you've created this short film, which here is up maybe for Oscar nomination, which is pretty big, man. That, you know what I mean? It's pretty big, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, to be accurate, we have qualified for consideration by the Academy. So we're into like the last 100, I think roughly about 150 films that have kind of come through basically the festival circuit and kind of earned the right to be considered for an Oscar. The The process is then like, they, go, they take the 150 down to 15 for the shortlist. And then the 15 goes to the five nominations and we're waiting to find out in about three weeks time, whether we will, you know, whether we'll get into that, that shortlist, but uh, of 15, but 
I mean, give you know, from the point that we started at making this film, it's just still absolutely amazing to just even be in the mix and uh, be in and amongst all these brilliant films. So I'm I'm absolutely delighted to just even have got this far. Yeah, I mean, because 150 sounds like a lot, but when you consider the amount of films that usually get, you know, submitted to a film festival, 150 is nothing. No. So be, just getting into that pool is is crazy. Yeah, it's mad. It's really, it's, and it, you're right. Like there are thousands of films, short films entered in and, 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 and and screened by festivals i mean there are thousands of festivals to start mm. um so yeah it is pretty surreal um and uh and fun like it's like i never really knew this is my first original short film like as in it's the first i've made a couple of shorts before that were adapted from other material people's mm. material it's the first thing i've like imagined written made directed and um yeah it's like yeah it's just it's the so it's the first time i've even like even thought about what the oscar process is you know i just didn't even really you know i used to watch it and i, I knew some kind of voting took place but i didn't really know and it's actually very rigorous and like a precise sort of like a uh, process of voting um that goes on that i just didn't really know about um yeah and lots of rules and stuff so as you can imagine <laughs> i mean before we get into anything, because this is interesting, like, what do, like, awards mean to you, right? Because we have, you know, like, the Oscars, you know, the um, Palme de Jours, just, you know, all of these big events that go on. But, they, you know what I mean? I think every time you watch something like this, there is always that, ah, man, it's a shame that film didn't get, or that director, yeah. or it's all, yeah. like, it's never, I don't think every anyone can ever say there's a universal, no, that that was all correct, right? So yeah, yeah. what does it mean to someone that's created stuff to be up for these sort of things, or the potential to be up for these sort of things? Well, I guess you make things to be seen, and um, these like these kinds of recognitions, I mean, not that we've had that yet, but you know, even just even just this exposure mm. uh, for us means more people will watch the film. So that's huge. Like, you know, you're in a, as we just said, you know, in there's like a lot of films around, and you're looking for uh, a way to get that those films out there and be seen. And like for instance. Um, we've just, the film is, you can watch our film on, on a brilliant short film, a curated short film platform called Omeletto, um, O-M-E-L-E-T-O.com. And we just went live on that about four or five days ago. Um, and, uh, we're in a section of that called, uh, Oscar qualified films, which, you know, if you're, I guess if you're looking for a, to watch a short film on that platform, you might go to that category first because it's a little bit elevated, like time, you know, it's topical and it's, you know, suggests mm. it's, so that makes a huge difference to us. You know, it just probably just means more people are going to watch the film on there and um, and take note. And we, you know, so like yeah, getting a work out there is huge. Like on an ego level, of course, I mean, I there are probably 
a handful of people in the world who would who could honestly say that winning an award doesn't mean anything to them um you know it's nice for the you know you spend a lot of time doubting yourself and 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 sort of working up the confidence and courage to do stuff in the first place and i guess awards are the opposite end of the the spectrum they're the bit where someone feels like someone's gone you're you know there was something exceptional about your work and we want to we want to you know honor that and like even if i think everyone knows that that doesn't really truly mean their thing is the best thing in the world at that moment ever because there's no accounting for taste and there are so many things you know um that you know don't even are, are brilliant that don't even land in the kind of taste world of the, or mm. the academy or uh or aren't eligible for, for various reasons you know there's so much stuff that you'll see that you'll be like that blew my head off and but then that film won that award and where's the justice but you know i, I still think yeah egotistically it's probably like quite a buzz to win things yeah um, and gives yeah, you confidence yeah. to go on and make things i think the other thing is like recognition of this kind it's not just about the film you've got out there at the moment but it's also um your own ability to make your next film uh, can be helped by recognition by awards recognition because it helps with funding and it helps people mm. seriously you know the next time around yeah yeah I, I i guess from that point of view definitely and especially you know straight out the gate right where there must be the nerves of will people vibe with this to then get this sort of look it's just like oh, okay I'm, I'm not failing right I mean, what i'm yeah. doing is is working yeah. and now the, the the process of making the next one could be a little bit easier yeah yeah exactly exactly and yeah exactly so it's like gives you confidence it gives other people confident more confidence in you i guess yeah so there's your background is in theater mm. right you, you've done a lot in that platform so what was the them i mean was it like transitioning over to this to the to the to the screen as it were right was it difficult was was writing similar or did you have to really kind of pivot on your process um good question lots of lots of things in there i mean I'd be, it's sort of been a bit of a, I've been doing this theatre directing for about 20 years, but I've always sort of had in mind I'd like to direct film. I've always loved films and and since I was a kid and um, and wanted to make them uh, as well. Um, so in the last 10 years, I've kind of done a few pieces of filmmaking that, you know, starting as a writer, um, uh, often adapting other, like, often adapting plays into mm. films um that's sort of helped me in a way they were it's not I've learned you know so I learned a lot doing that I learned how to just write a script I learned how to shape up a scene I learned how to use final draft um I learned how to work uh to sort of develop my own visual language um and the visual side of it is a big thing for me because theater um you know a lot of theater is very verbal um yeah and story relies on characters saying stuff to each other about where they've been that day and what's going on and their backstory and their back history. And in, in film, it's actually quite a relief to have different kinds of storytelling solutions. 
Uh, I really like, I mean, my film is quite, it's it's quite stripped back, like dialogue-wise. I um, really loved sort of removing, you know, just telling story visually. So, like, it's different, but a buzz for me to just be able to have, to be able to sit in point, you know, to, to be able to go in someone's point of view, which also in theatre is, is, harder to do because you're essentially in theater watching a, a single locked off wide shot <coughs> for 90 minutes. I mean, not, every, not all theater all the time because some theater is more virtuosic in the way it's staged and you, you feel in the audience like you're, you are watching different camera angles, but often, you know, a straight sort of play where people are talking about stuff, you're generally watching a room from a distance and you're never quite seeing, you know, punching right into someone's a POV and and theatre obviously a film obviously gives you that so my film again I've really enjoyed writing a film that's essentially seen from the point of view of a child who's misunderstanding some events that are going on around her hmm. um, so you know those things are, are fantastic to be able to do I think um, also working in theatre theatre is very actor centred and you're you know you're you're spending often four or five weeks in rehearsal sometimes bit less bit more um but you're working with actors on uh, supporting actors trying to get the very most focused and the best performance out of them and and so i've learned over the years i've got a sort of tool bag of techniques to <coughs> that i use with actors and i feel confident about working with actors and a lot of i think it, you know a lot of film directors who come from different medium like commercials which is much more visual and stylists are much more visual stylists. They mm. sometimes, it's sometimes said that they're not as confident. They don't on set know how to work with actors. Actors are sort of are like a, someone you have to sort of compositionally frame. Yeah. So um, I, I've, I love the fact that I can, you know, do that on screen um, and, uh, you know, do that when we were filming, it felt good. So yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't hard. It's just different, um, but it's still storytelling. And I've learned, you know, a lot about storytelling in theatre, and I sort of hopefully bring that to the set. What's it like having these new tools, though? Like, as you say, watching a theatre play, it's all about the lighting of it. But with, um, you know, films, you can change like the filter. I say filter, it might not be that. I, I don't know the technical terms. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the grading of a film, the look, the colour. Yeah, yeah. You, you can create that so feel do. like it's the 60s, the 50s. You know what I mean? Or you can do yeah. things like that, which you can't do in a theatre. Well, I mean, you can do that in the theatre as well. I think theatre does, does evoke the colour and feel of period very well. Um, but I know exactly what you mean. I think it's, I think what you're getting at as well is, is it's like, um, and this is something that a lot of theatre directors say, a lot of famous theatre directors who then go across to film, <coughs> people like Sam Mendes often talk about is like the control that you feel on set. So there's a lot of things that you, or, 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 and when you're filming, not, not on set so much, but in the edit, yeah, the control of the camera, what you frame, what you choose to see, um how you put those choices together and then how you can just you know reorder things and reshape things in the edit endlessly to sort of 
discover what the rhythm and the look and the feel of the film is. That's something that in theatre is is very much harder to do because you're working with people who need a coffee break and people mm. who, who um, are, oh, for you know, all sorts of reasons. You know, you can't just keep shuffling things around. Um, uh, yeah, um, so that that was lovely. I mean, in terms of the tools, like I I, I am relatively a novice, and this was the Gunf the film. I made is it was the was the biggest camera crew I'd worked with as a director. I'd made two shorts before that were adapted shorts, and they were with a very very skeletal crew of like a, you know, <coughs> a sound boom guy. Excuse me, I got a cough. Um, a um, a director of photography who was the cinematographer who was operating the camera and a producer essentially. This time I was working with you know a, a camera crew of about seven people lots of other heads of department production designers and technicians and things and it was a, just a different different for me and really exciting i uh, the most ex one of the most exciting parts of it was the prep um again talking about control like storyboarding and working out everything working out frame by frame what your film's going to look like with the cinematographer who's like challenging everything in a really helpful way going like but yeah why do we need these three shots when we can have this shot? And I'm like, well, I want these three shots. And he's like, she, you can do all of this in one shot. And suddenly <clears throat> you force yourself to kind of be more economic. Yeah. And, and deliberate and, 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 and suddenly you're like, oh yeah, there's like, everything can be contained in that shot. All the things we, we, I thought I needed to say can be done really elegantly in that moment. And like working that out stitch by stitch with someone before you even, you know, I did like, at least a week of 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 solid storyboarding with my dp who's kind enough to give it to us you know everyone works so little on these films and she was mm. so brilliant and it just meant that when we were on set we knew exactly what we were doing and it really i think really comes through in the final um in the in in what we got because that was all very a lot of it was very 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 heavily planned um so yeah those tools and then as you say i mean you could i could go on we shot the film on something on a camera that, that's an, on an anamorphic lens which <clears throat> was the dp's choice because we wanted the house to feel like a fourth character in the film something that was almost big and wide and and sort of the girl felt quite small inside of and, and yeah and that anime, and the director the sorry the, the cinematographer wanted to use like in terms of tools you know this a beautiful anamorphic lens which stretches everything and makes everything feel wider um and you then also used another lens i can't remember the name of and, and you know stuff like that is just heaven because you as you say you're really controlling the image and the experience that the viewer is having yeah you that's a funny thing because watching it you'd get the sense of things like uh you know, lying which in a wardrobe and, you know, where the kids are in these huge houses yeah. and, you know, like exploring and playing and just all of that kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, it did really kind of feel like that. Yeah, good. Yeah. But now, oh man, there's so many things I want to ask you about the process. But I think one of the big things is, right, so coming from this theatre background, building on stuff, you know, Shakespeare and, and things like that. Yeah. Where does a story like Ganeth come from? Well, it's very per very personal story. Um, my my uh and you know, my grandmother uh and 
and her family, my mom's family, that is, they survived the Holocaust. So I'm Jewish and I, my grandmother comes from, was born in Frankfurt and um, was uh, a child in the, in the, in the second world war during the Holocaust. <clears throat> and so she spent the war, she didn't get out, she's, but she didn't, and thankfully she didn't go to a concentration camp, but she spent the war in hiding. So she was on the run for about four years from um, running from, you know, as a girl running, yeah. being smuggled around from Frankfurt. She went to Antwerp from Antwerp. She ended up living in the south of France, spent a lot of time in a cellar underground, um, watched her, you know, uh, her sister um, went to get food one day, never came back, got arrested by the Gestapo. She survived the war, but she very nearly was trans transported to Auschwitz just about escaped that fate um by some luck um and then she went to across the mountains she then hid in a mountain village and then she went over the mountains into italy and spent saw out the wall pretending to be a catholic girl in a convent in rome where two of the nuns knew that she was jewish but none of the others did and she was living with children of like italian ss officers so so she emerged from the war very, you know, shaped by that experience. And yeah. and I grew up in the, I guess, 80s and 90s in London, surrounded by not just her and her immediate family, who thankfully did survive, but also knowing that many of her relatives were murdered. I mean, we lost, you know, at, in, you know, tens of family in the, in the Holocaust, you just mm. you know, in camps or in murdered in, roundups in city in towns that they lived in and um so i was just sort of the story is very deep in me because of those things because of i grew up with a sense that the world could turn on you yeah. um that it's not a stable place however stable you might feel uh, and also that my grandmother was really affected by those things i mean she lived a very happy and comfortable life in in many ways but i know that she her behavior was often quite shaped by things like not trusting the world, you know, so she didn't, she crossed the road, even in London, she would often avoid police officers, anyone in uniform. She didn't really like to take a taxi on her own. She didn't trust people driving her anywhere for her family was the only thing she could trust. And, and I wanted to make a film which represented not the war itself, but the sort of aftermath of the war, you know, like the, mm. the process of what happens after you've survived um so you know when you're survive, you know you're almost surviving survival like when because the trauma doesn't go away the horrors of that don't go away and uh and as i could see around me it gets passed on to your children and 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 there's this there's this thing called inherited trauma that yeah. many communities have it's not just a i'm not my film is specifically about the holocaust but my intention is not just to talk about the whole you know this happens to anyone who is subjected to systemic violence um the behavior of the the generations that come after is massively shaped by these events and we'd be foolish to think it wasn't so i sort of wanted to go like what would it be like if we just stepped inside one house and we found and i found this moment that a family member told me about of not not of what happens in the film but just of someone who used to hide the shopping from the cleaner out of fear that you know they didn't want to show them mm. anything that they might be tempted by not that they ever thought that the cleaner was exactly going to steal but just yeah. generally they were so scared of the world 
yeah, it becomes cool. ingrained. Certain actions yeah. become ingrained, even though you know the reality is nothing's probably going to happen, but there's still that defense mechanism right. that's kind of built into you now. You're yeah. hardwired in this way of thinking. And so you have to do this because if you don't, what if this is a time that it all turns? Right. And you confuse the general with the specific. Like, mm. Tina in the film is a really lovely woman. She's not she's not a thief. Um, and the mother loves her, actually, is thinks she's a really lovely person. But at the same time, she has this general fear of the world. And the two things get confused, you know. Suddenly, this woman who she really likes becomes sort of the object of great suspicion. And it's that that is how it works. It's like... It's like there's some I was talking to a psychologist about it and she said like often people who survive, they have this like they're, they're, they're walking on a glass floor and underneath the glass floor is all the horror. And yeah. on top of the glass floor is the sort of new life that they're trying to lead the, the normal life. And sometimes that horror just kind of comes up through and mixes and mm. confused. And you're yeah, trying, it's... trying to separate them. It's really hard. It, it's weird, right? Because. You're always told, you know, just, you know, work hard and everything will fall into place. And you're like, yeah, I get it. But what if? Right. Yeah. And even though things might be going, you're always waiting for everything just to fall apart. Right. Right. You're, you're like, yeah. right I need to build things on a solid foundation. But it's like, what if it turns to sand? Right. When's yeah. this going to implode on me? Exactly. And that's always in the back of your mind. When am I going to have to? When am I going to have to run again? When yeah. am I gonna, when I'm, when are they going to break down the door again? Um, yeah. 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 Ha so I really, you know, and it, it's funny, right? I'm I'm not saying this because you're in front of me, but the film was terrible. No, I really, <laughs> no, I really, <laughs> I really feel that all of this comes across so well. Oh, good. Like, these moments, it's just when the accusation is made and the conversation is there, and you're just like, oh, you feel so... Because you see the girl realise the mistake, and then everything goes down, but then all these... Then the following conversations, you, you feel... You feel these conversations, you feel the moments, the transitions, the, the things that have passed, the things that have come back together and the rawness of it all. Right. And especially in um, in the maid afterwards, her interactions with the girl and it all makes sense. And you're just yeah. like, oh, shit. But it's so visceral, so raw. You You just get all these emotions are just jumping at you it, it really works oh good that thank you that's you. really i really want uh, lovely to hear uh, like your reaction to it it's really nice like it is com it's like yeah you're, it's pain it's just a bit like it's just a bit painful isn't it that that somehow something is lost like their friendship and mm. can't they can't quite claw it back after that. Yeah. some some line has been crossed that, that they can't go back yeah and and yeah because i think it's that thing like and you get it if you i think sometimes you get these things if you've been in similar situations and stuff like that and it's just like i don't know because 
once an accusation is made, even though, you know, someone might profusely apologize and be like, I, yeah, I get it. I understand. I can see it from your point of view. But then you're now you're like, when's this going to happen again? Right, right. Yeah. Right. And right. Do, will the next time will I be believed or like what's going to happen? Like what's going to yeah. happen next that's, that's time? Really, that's very astute thing to say because it's, it's like there's some on some level. I think that the cleaner also sort of knows, doesn't she, that she afterwards, that once she's been accused, even when the apology's been made, that she's not safe anymore. Mm. It's like this could blow up again. And it's because no one, because what's sort of <clears throat> in the atmosphere between them is something much bigger than all of them that they don't understand, which is basically, you know, the the threat, the 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 it's basically trauma. Yeah. Is is in the house, and it it does weird things to people. Yeah. Um, and 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 you know people are work, going with their best intentions, but it, they're sort of being controlled a lot by, you know, fear. Yeah, which is kind of ironic as well, because at the end of the film, both women are kind of in the same place now. Mm. You know what I mean? Because it's the mum with the trauma from the war and now the maid with this trauma of the accusation and the fear of when will that happen again? Like the mum's the fear of when will, you know, the, the, I'd be maybe swept up and taken away and my life fall apart again. And the maid is kind of a similar thing. Obviously, it's different levels of, but to them, it's still very relevant and raw. Yeah, 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 and it, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, it's good. It's really. It's like I really, I really, I, I think I, I really like films that I, I, I don't know if I, I mean, I hope that I, from this conversation, it feels like our film sort of does that for you. But I really love films that are morally complicated and. Mm you know, don't, are ambiguous and you don't quite know who to root for and you sort of understand why everyone's doing what they're doing, even if it causes problems. And, and you, um, I, 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 I'm not interested in going, you know, one person's, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, I'm interested in the complexity of it and, um, and it's nice to hear that that seems to be coming out for you. Yeah. Yeah. There's even like the little girl, right. You can't even really be like, oh, what an asshole!" Because you, she's heard these stories, right? Yeah. She's heard these stories and then see something. And she's yeah. just like, oh, also, shit, she's, mom's she's, right. She's, yeah. And she's really young. Yeah. Five, six years old. It was really important when we cast it, um, just as a slight sidebar, but it's relevant to what you're saying is that uh, we did a quite a big cast. We were first of all we were incredibly lucky to get this wonderful girl to play the part. She's five when we auditioned her, six when we shot the film, and um, we can't. We auditioned a lot of girls, and we auditioned girls from that. I mean, she, Isabella, who played it, was the youngest girl we met. Some of the girls were, you know, closer to nine years old, and um, and nine meant this is whatever. But you can't shoot. When they're six or under, you can't yeah. shoot for longer than three hours in front of yes. camera every day. When they're a bit older, you get a bit more time. So part of me was a bit nervous that I was like, maybe we'll find a girl who's 
older but looks younger and I can make and in the end like Isabella came through she was amazing and we just went to the best person and but what I also realized was that the girl needs to feel really feel like she's five or six because mm. when you once you get a bit older um your logical brain starts to work yes. more effectively and there's a chance if you're eight nine years old or you seem a bit older that you wouldn't you'd pause before you accuse the cleaner you know you might ask your mum a question or two mm. to work something out before you pointed a finger or before you did something so really important actually her age that she's not only fed horrifying stories but that she's at a point in her life where she's more emotional than she's logical and she does crazy she then reacts in a very well, yes that way. what she does is just like but again you think yeah obviously a, a, a little kid would do that right you know what i mean it all makes that's the thing it all makes sense oh good yeah there's nothing you think who would do that that's never gonna happen yeah. everything would be like oh yeah I get it. You know what I mean? You just like you feel uncomfortable, you feel sad, you know, and especially god damn it, Mark, what the fuck was the ending, man? Oh, like yeah. what the fuck you do there? Because now you're just like fuck, what's gonna happen? <laughs> like, what's gonna happen here? Oh uh, yeah. What do you so what you mean like when she's at, at the very end when she's yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What do you mean what will happen next or well, yeah, like the ramifications of this next thing. You know what I mean? Because, mm. yeah, like, because you just think it's something, obviously, that people do. And it's harmless. It's a harmless oh, see. Thing. Yeah, what the cleaner does. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a harmless thing. But right. because of the other thing, you know what I mean? And the yeah. trauma of the mother what's going to happen now? And you're just like, oh. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a very, that story, the cleaner is is quite a delicate one because some people have watched the film and and don't see what you see, that some people watch the film and think that, <clears throat> either think that she's, her intention is more malicious than than it is, or, uh, or more, you know, more, she's, you know, really trying to steal. Mm. Um, or, I mean, for, you know, I'm really pleased that you see that because I think that, what I'm trying to do is just suggest like what happens to someone when that, you know, this is a woman from, she's a Northern, she's from Yorkshire. She's, I mean, this is not said in the film out loud, yeah. but like, in yeah. my head, she's, you know, for some reason she's in the big smoke working, earning, she feels like a sense of belonging in this house. You know, the family away from her family, she's got this really lovely bond with this girl and she feels like she belongs in some way. She feels comfortable connecting mm, which we see at the beginning yeah like you clearly see that at the beginning the playfulness and just yeah. all of that yeah and then she kind of like um clearly has like there's a couple of sort of nods to the fact that she you know thinks that the stuff in the house is pretty amazing you know mm. like not that she wants to steal it but she's just admires the material wealth of this house stuff she dreams of having um, but when she's sort of then accused and sort of marginalized, um, she loses that sense of belonging. And for me, like, that's the delicate thing is the shift from um, respectfully admiring what's in a house to sort of taking a tiny liberty because you feel rejected yourself. 
yeah you know, so she you know that that journey of like it for her is so it's just it's sort of these tiny little shifts from like admiration to jealousy or envy is mm. is, is sort of what i what I'm, I'm after and yeah i'm really pleased that you see it in the way that i see it yeah yeah i i, I don't know it's just like you're watching it and i think it seems to be clear but i can kind of get why someone might think yeah. the other way but yeah, yeah for me it just all seemed a logical progression of what would happen but now there's the because yeah you you the equilibrium has shifted you know the balance of the house is is, is not the same right. so how will they, uh, this play out how will future things play out yeah you know what i mean there, there's that and you're just like it can never go back to what it was what's gonna happen yeah totally and you don't fucking tell us mark <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I sort of really. I mean, I might. You know, I have. I haven't put that in the film, so my guess is 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 as I, I've got an idea of what happens next. But it's as valid as anyone else's, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I am. I am kind of um, exploring at the moment. I'm noodling around with a feature length version of the short. So um, that obviously means I am thinking a bit more about what might happen after the end. Um, but uh, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> like, when you're... You, because, you know, it, it's one of those things, right? I think a lot of times when we when we storytell, ugh, when we tell stories, that was just a horrible sentence. You know, sometimes when we tell stories, we're, you know, you look for the beginning, the middle, the end, Right. And a lot of times you hear when people watch a film, they'll be like, ah, oh, well, the, the beginning was great. The middle, it fell apart at the end. Or, you know, it, there was no clear ending. Or the, the beginning, it didn't make any sense. We just don't, the stuff we didn't feel we knew and all of this. Yeah. So you've created this film where there's no clear beginning. There's no clear end. As in, in the context of stories as typically told. Well, I'd say, I, I would say at the beginning, like, actually, I could argue that it's pretty. No, 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 no. What, what I mean is, because yeah. I think it is very, it's clear coming in, right? You get the sense of the fan, like the, the relationship. Yeah, the status quo, yeah. Yeah, that's all clear. But what I mean is, there's no, this is our family, the maid, she joined here. But there's oh, no, well, like, yeah. there's yeah. no firm history. We don't yeah, come yeah. knowing all of this stuff. Yeah. Right. And then you end it in this way, which is just like so many possibilities of where the story would go. Yeah. But when you're writing it, you know, as you said, look, it's your first original film. So what was that kind of thinking like? You know what I mean? Because, that you know, to be your first one, right? You're, you're like, ah. Okay, do I need a do I need a concrete start? Do I need this? Do I need to flesh this out? Like, oh, should I end on a definitive point or can I end like this? Like, what was the mm. whole thinking when you were constructing this and you know how you could come at it and what the reception might be and you know what I mean just these different yeah. forms of storytelling. God, that's such a hard, a hard question to answer because I don't I don't 
it's a really good question i i don't i'm not some of it's just like the stuff you put down and that's how you see it i i guess i guess yeah i mean i was thinking i need to show the relationship be joyful between them so we've got somewhere to go because i know it's going to go dark i know that the end is going to be that image uh, i just knew that because i wanted an image that showed the effect that the, the arc for the girl is goes mm. from trust connection joyfulness playfulness with this other person to being cut off isolated panicked and literally in the dark um i knew that 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 was the the beginning and the end um uh um and that yeah and i i guess i instinctively knew that the idea the hook of this confusion over whether she stole this bowl the silver bowl or not um was a really i thought i think it was just like a really good simple domestic incident that could could ref, be ref, through which could be refracted this much bigger thing of of the holocaust and trauma um so i was quite excited that i'd thought of that and i mm. think i just was able to then build a solid logic as you say like a, quite a logical sequence of events that um they were both logical and a bit in a way a bit mad you know yeah the, for the girl it's logical but for us it's like no it's you've got this terribly wrong so that was the kind of those are the threads that that came between i mean i think the rest of it's taste because how you then tell that story like as you say there is no kind of like spoon feeding um of information that is partly i think the pressure of a short film you know you're you're trying to keep it as short as possible you're trying to make some you're trying to write something of about 10 to 11 12 pages that you can actually shoot in the time you know you're going to have we shot this in three and a half days i got it down to about 11 pages of script which was still a challenge um to shoot we were in a bit of a race against time so it's partly that it's partly just the elegance of and the, the focus of short filmmaking means you have to be really really stripped back and minimal um and so you don't have time to have big conversations about stuff and then part of it is just taste i don't i really like films where i get to play detective um mm. and i like i wanted to make sure that i wasn't you know oversharing what i didn't need to share like you can see their love for each other you don't you can see she's the cleaner you can see this girl's a little girl in a big house you you know there you you can create a sense of this girl lost in her own imagination and all that stuff without like needing to know what the cleaner had for breakfast or how long she's worked there um so yeah and actually like you there is it's immediately inferred in the writing that that they do that, that there's history between them because they've clearly played this game before yes the game they play at the beginning is one that they know the rules to therefore they've played it before they are familiar with it therefore there is history and that's all you really need to say it's a you know um you don't need to say how long for because you know what does that add mm. uh, yeah so i guess that's it really Mm hmm. Yeah, and I like the callback to the game oh, later yeah. in the film. Thank you. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that really helps to demonstrate the shift now. Yeah. 
right? And, exactly, and you just, yeah. oh, it does cut. Where, like, in that city, you're just like, oh. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, yeah, it's broken now everything's broken it is broken that's right and the and and the and the cleaner is you know does what adults do which is she tries to just go oh this painful thing happened i'm just going to pretend it never happened and that's yeah. even worse because the girl now doesn't understand the thing that what is this adult doing like mm. this adult is now behaving like weird what, what, what this happened why are we now playing pretending it doesn't um which is again a big difference between adults and children because children don't really do that children tend to just live with what's happened and sort of that stuff gets you know yeah. stuff kind of played out on them whereas yeah adults edit so and and look what what could happen in the future yeah but oh, yeah the kid isn't thinking that kind of yeah. thing yeah exactly uh, yeah no that that was uh yeah, no, that worked very well. Like, so you talked about casting the little girl, but what was the casting process, you know, for this like? And compared to casting a theatre play, was there any differences in that respect? Um, just not, um, well, obviously just uh, not really. I mean, not, not I mean, I cast the, the uh, Sophie McSherry, who plays the housekeeper, who's, I didn't know. I knew her work, and she obviously was in Downton, is in Downton Abbey, and and quite a big star in that. Although I'm, I never really watched Downton Abbey myself, but knew of her. And I just and Lydia Wilson, I who plays the mother, I did know a little bit. I met in the theatre in theatre, and she and and I'm a huge fan. Um, I just sent the script to their agents and on said, you know, are they free for these dates and would they like to do it? And they both said, yes, that, that was incredibly easy and probably different from theater in that theater is a much longer commitment for actors. Um, mm. films are great because you get someone for two days and uh, or three days. We, um, the, the, as I said before, the, 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 the finding the girl was, was the hardest thing. And I worked with a brilliant my casting director who I've worked with in theater before called Matilda James. And, she just set up a process that we sort of worked out, which was we asked, we put out a call to a call out to lots of sort of children's acting agencies and got about 40 little girls submitting. And we asked them to tape um, a little, a couple of things for us on their phone um, uh, just to talk about themselves. I can't even remember what we asked them to do. I think maybe something improvised and talk about themselves. And then we, from that 40, we chose, think about 10 to come in and meet us uh and they came in on a saturday in two groups um and we did like practical work with them in groups so they did like improvising um and playing together and a bit of acting i think uh, yeah mainly i think we did a little bit of work on the on the story a little bit and from that 10 or so we chose four to come again and we, each of those four had, or three or four, I think, had an individual session with us for an hour. And we definitely then worked through lots of moments from the film, read dialogue. We had an actress with us who read in for a couple of scenes. And then eventually, and then we chose uh, Isabella. Um, Isabella's last audition was sort of mayhem. She was just, she, we, we, she made us play the games that we wanted her to do. Um, and um, 
ran rings around us and but then was also brilliant uh and um yeah she 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 nailed it but it was quite a long process and and you know it's was quite rigorous but the truth is that at, we got you know we were in the right place at the right time to find isabella there was no way you know it, another week in the year she might have been not something she might not have even seen the call the call out mm. um she'd never really acted before she'd done some modeling uh, but she never acted but you know and certainly never held a story to, uh, you know so she we were very lucky uh, and then my friend danny uh who's an actor a friend of mine who i know um he played the father who makes a fleeting appearance and i need i want danny's actually the only jewish actor in the film um and it was important that i had someone who could sing who knew the hebrew that they sing the song they sing a hebrew song uh, yeah. song and um i just wanted someone who who could just come in and take care of that stuff and um and just in a few moments tell us a, a very small story of, of a relationship ah nice nice so yeah like now it's all done right and you can look back on it all and everything like that like how was this experience you know like as i said look coming from theater you've made the, the other couple of shorts but this being this original idea this new thing this this kind of thing that kind of really touched on you know family and history and and all of that right and you managed to put it together and create this really just man this lovely little story that kind of invokes so much emotion like uh, after all of that all the process like at the end of it like yeah how how do you feel is there stuff that you're like oh, i wish we could have changed that or is it like no this is everything i imagined and more um i i think there are some things that people said to me when we were in the edit that were more radical than the film that you've seen that we didn't really have time to explore and i don't know if they you know would have worked uh completely um because we never really tested them so i am there are a few things about the film that i wonder like I'm, I'm not. First of all, I don't think it's perfect, and I'm sure there are ways of improving it. Um, I'm not like haunted by those things, but occasionally <clears> I watch it and do wonder. Um, but that's all maybe stuff that I will draw from the next film I make. That I'll just be more mindful of stuff like that. That you know those kinds of comments. Um, but I, I think because we've we've it's a long time. It's a while now since we made it. And where we've and what we've been doing since has been the film festivals, and although that's been bloody weird because uh, it's all <laughs> been online, you know, no, we yeah. we've been, I've been to one one in person festival of the thirty that we've been in. Um, still, we've been working the festivals, and so yeah, I think really what's happened since is just getting people to see it. And more recently, um, in the last few weeks, we've been doing some amazing, we did a screening online with the Museum of Jewish Heritage in New York, which is this huge museum dedicated to the mm. memory of the Holocaust. And it's a really, really smart place. 
and we got to do a screening there and did a screening with another organization where the audiences were often a lot of people who were children of Holocaust survivors. And so even just that angle, you know, outside of the festivals, but actually getting, you know, we had 300 people watch the film online uh, the other night and then had a really amazing conversation with a clinical psychologist about inherited trauma and stuff. And so it sounds heavy, but it was like really, a really, that was very meaningful um, way of landing the film in front of an audience that really, that really like for a lot of people that reminded them in some way of their childhood or whatever. Um, I just, all that stuff, festival audiences, you know, these museum audiences, um, having conversations about the film, having conversations like this, like that's, that's, you know, been so uh, meaningful and rich for me um, that, you know, people watch it and want to chat about it. It's great. Nice. And how do you, like, there's the festivals which help get the, you know, the film out there. But other than that, how do you market these things? Well, right? like, do you create a budget for it or is it all very ad hoc? Like, what's the... I mean, to be honest, this this I would be different next time. Last time, this time it was a bit ad hoc because I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, you know, I'd never done the festival circuit before. I didn't know really. And we, my producer and I were like learning on the hoof in terms of this stuff. Um, so in terms of placing the film, what you're talking about, yeah, we've got a sales agent now <coughs> who, which means someone that kind of will try to sell the film to like TV stations that, program short films or even like stuff like in-flight airline programs and um uh, video on demand there's there is a marketplace for short films and mm. we have sold the film a bit um which has been amazing uh so you know it's been festivals 30 plus festivals for the film so the audiences that go with that we were also in one festival called manhattan short recently which uh, is a global festival that, that plays the film in cinemas around the world and so that in itself i don't know the exact numbers but they claim to sh screen the film to up, up to about hundred thousand people so Ooh. it's had a real reach there mm. um and uh and then you know as i just described like these these events that we've been doing um uh, and now it's on omaletto.com where it's had like in a few days, it's had like 25,000, 21,000 views. Um, so, you know, like a lot of people are seeing it, which is incredible, really, because I, when I went into the process, I wasn't sure like how, like who would be interested beyond the festivals in like watching the film? Mm. Um, like who's interested in who like goes, who goes, who makes a beeline for short films? um but there, you know there is a appetite and it's great yeah i i think one thing that's always interesting about a short film is like you know sometimes in the e it's evening say and you're like all right what do i do now and you think let me watch something and you're like oh should i watch that new and you're looking at it's two and a half hours yeah two right hours. Yeah. I don't know if I've got two or four hours. I was like, or you've got stuff you want to do, but you want to break. And it's just like, ah, I don't really want to break for this amount of time. But a short yeah. film, you can be like, yeah, I got 40 minutes. I can watch, I can watch something for 40 minutes. Yeah. Right. And it's easier to dip into yeah. sometimes a full-length feature or a yeah. TV show. 
Yeah, I think that's true. And and of, and good short films are very very. Um, there's a really distilled storytelling, so you can often mm. feel like you've watched something much longer because so much is packed into it. Um, you know, a good short film can do that. Can transport yeah. you somewhere pretty quick. Put you through the gears of a story very quickly. Um, sometimes with a greater discipline than a feature film or a TV show, which has so much more time to chew that they, you know, sometimes there's padding and it's loose and, you know, all repetitious. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote something recently this week and, you know, it felt like, the, I don't know, the first half an hour could probably have been trimmed down and there's other, other elements that just uh, didn't quite work, but the tent, they nailed the tension. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's funny sometimes that you watch a feature length and it doesn't quite work, but a short, you're just like, and it it hits you even harder than this thing that was like an hour and a half, say. Yeah. And that's always like, huh, how the hell did they do that? How, How did they tell this great story in this short period of time? It's crazy. Yeah, it's good. It's a really good discipline. Mm, mm. so yeah from all of this where does this take you next right do you have like you talked about you know you're mulling over whether to turn it into a feature but is there other projects that you've got on the back burner yeah I'm I'm I yeah no I'm working on a tv show uh with another with a couple of other writers um which I've I've got a deadline on today actually um how i've got to get get on with and um and then i'm writing a play um which i've never done before for a theater in london which is taking me a long time uh and i still got uh, got to write a fair bit more of it but it, it, i'm excited about um and then a couple of other feature ideas that i'm working with other, with other writers um an adaptation of a novel and an adaptation of a play uh and um yeah and then a couple of and then one other original film idea so i'm just sort of it's not easy i've just had like um my second son uh like two weeks ago so kind of like sleepless and um (laughs) doing a lot of nappy changes and it's not not all easy but um but uh yeah giving it a go um trying to like because i'm not i've i've not been I'm still just working out how to be a writer because I've never really, that's not how I've, it's not what I've done for, I've been directing other people's writing mm. for 20 years. I've never really like fully owned the idea that I might myself be a writer who wants to direct their work. And, and like, that's just putting in the hours really and, and building up the, the muscles for it and, and working out what your voice is. It's all, uh, it's all pretty fun. Well, I mean, <laughs> Mark, for someone that's not a writer, this was a pretty great stab at it. Oh, well, thanks you know? a lot. I really appreciate. Look, I really appreciate you taking so much time to talk about it, and and like the way you've engaged with the story is just lovely. It's like you know, you've, you're you're really, you know, you've you've really like you know got it and it's such a nice feeling so thank you and and thanks for all the nice things you said about the film hey no worries at all man you did all the hard work i just sat i just sat here for a few minutes and watched watched what you created that was enjoyable yeah so 
how can people follow what you're doing? Do you, do you have a oh, website? Yeah, I've, got a, I've got a website, which is just, my name is www.markrosenblatt.com. Uh, markrosenblatt.com. And um, we're on, uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at mark.rosenblatt. And you can follow the short film on Instagram at gunf uh, underscore short film. Uh, um, and the film itself, you can watch, as I keep saying, you can watch on, it's very easy to find. You can either just Google Gunf and Omeletto, which is O-M-E-L-E-T-O, like omelette, but different. Um, uh, or you just Google, or just put in omeletto.com and uh, you can find the film and just watch it for free. And it's on, it won't be on forever there. It's only actually going to be on for, at the moment for a few more weeks, but do check it out. Um, and you can actually find out what the hell we've been talking about for an hour. <laughs> All right. Well, all the links will be in the episode information. So people make sure you um, follow Mark, right? Go check out his work. Go watch the film for sure. Watch the film, right? And um, yeah, Mark, I really enjoyed this conversation. Me Thank too. You Thank you. For yeah. Coming by. And yo, when the TV show is done, when the theatre play is done, when anything else is done, Come by and talk to us, man. I'd love to do that. It was such a nice chat. I'm, um, I'm sorry, I've got that. Like, I'm being sort of scorched by the sun suddenly, <laughs> like turning into some kind of like evil villain with a kind of side lit face. But um, I would absolutely love to. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Splendid. Thank you, mate. Um, yeah. All the success with the film. Thank you. Cheers. All Okay, people, so there you have it, right? How great was Mark? Oh, man. Mark, it's so interesting to hear about how he made this film. You know what I mean? Trust me, you need to go check it out. It is really just right it just hits you man and i think you can relate to the situation and just see it all those different eyes you know what i mean people the um information is in the episode details as always so go follow mark um because i feel great things are in store for sure you know what I mean? So, hey, I want to know what Mark does next, people, and I'm hoping he'll be back to talk about it when uh, everything gets worked up. Alright, people, so, uh, yeah, we haven't done part one yet, I'll do that, but, uh, yeah, there you go, people. We will see you again next week. Alright, peace.